before Gareth Jones on speed, some breaking business news. Jensen Button's stock in Formula One has now fallen to such a low point that he is to be nationalised. The new government package will make him the racing driver equivalent of British Leyland. Hello and welcome to an episode of Gareth Jones on Speed which was recorded under completely natural lighting. There was no artificial lighting used in the recording of this show whatsoever because we've done it immediately after the Singapore Grand Prix. Zog, Richard, did you enjoy it? Oh yeah. Yes. Spectacular. I thought that was one of the best looking races I can remember seeing. You know, it might have been nice if there'd been a bit more action on track at times but yeah, I, I like this nighttime racing thing. Yeah, I, I swore that I wasn't, after watching qualifying yesterday, I wasn't going to use the word Blade Runner. But it did look a bit yeah, like Blade Runner. I'm yeah, sorry, yeah, but it, it did. I can't help it. Actually, and that's good. We like that. Yeah, if, yeah, I'm not complaining. Yeah. It was great. If they combine that thing that they do at the end of rugby matches these days, well, they did at the Millennium Stadium, where they have... Well, they all um, have a bath together and pretend they're not There gay. is that, yeah, that is true. <laughs> no, the thing where they have giant flames blasting up into the sky, oh, that, and the winner yeah, is, yeah, yeah. if they put that on the Singapore circuit, it would be the Blade Runner Grand Prix, wouldn't it? it? Would, that, yeah. that, would, that would do it. But or um, if the cars would, could fly, you know, if they would, that would definitely do it. Spinner style, that would do it. Talking Although, about ca- in fact, going over those curbs, exactly. did, yeah. That's what I was going to say. And I was very pleased to hear Brundle saying, and I think I said this to you when we were watching the race, that Brundle said, oh, you know, you hit those curbs and you're in the air, and while you're in the air you're slowing down only a racing driver yeah. would think <laughs> like that wouldn't he that's fantastic it was some good racing I hate to do this but well done Alonso yeah, <laughs> yeah, deserved it he was our 15th on the grid was he he well, didn't make it into the second session so, so uh, fair play right. yeah, yeah and it was Lewis who was 10th at the end of Q2 wasn't he he only just scraped through yeah. into Q1 in qualifying yeah very close that was a bit of a worry wasn't it uh, but Lewis got there in the end and scored 6 points for 3rd mm-hmm. place nice to see him on the podium with Nico yeah and that Spanish fella yeah and interesting little bit of body language that I think we all picked up on Mm. when the three drivers were getting ready for the podium toweling off the sweat and being weighed and all that kind of stuff Lewis greets Nico they're you know nice and chummy and matey I don't think Lewis and Alonso even looked at each other well I think if you now look in the Oxford English Dictionary under the word blanking it says see what Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso did to each other after the Singapore Grand Prix. Yeah. It was it was quite spectacular and noticeable. Quite but fair enough. Yeah, yeah, you know. Because you uh, wouldn't expect them to like each other no. after what happened last year. Or? Ron Dennis said today, or yesterday, I suppose it is today in terms of Singapore time, that floodlit Grand Prix, such as the one we just watched at Singapore, was going to change Formula One. Do you think it will? Do you think we'll have more now? What does he mean? In what way? I suppose one could speculate that if he's right, he's right in the sense that if everyone suddenly thinks that racing at night is a good spectacle, it's going to be much, much easier to get maybe more races uh, in the Far East that will then take place at traditional European viewing times. It's simply more likely that there are more races in the Far East, and that may mean fewer races in some of the traditional. Mm. It's not a new idea, though, because I had a conversation with... 
<coughs> Sheikh Maktoum uh, about oh, yeah, thank you <laughs> about four years ago and he was uh, saying you know Gareth I tried to get them to uh, run the Malaysian Grand Prix under spotlights but they couldn't afford to light it is what he said to me <laughs> and uh, so he was thinking about it for exactly the same reasons to racing in the Far East but playing to where the money is mm-hmm. or rather where the audience is the money's in the Far East the audience is in Europe but they couldn't manage it that's not to say that all races, in my opinion, in the Far East, should be run under floodlit conditions. Personally, I love the idea of getting up at four o'clock in the morning for the first race of the season from Albert Park. It adds excitement. I've waited, well, you know, six months for the start of the season. I'll happily get up in the middle of the night for it. That, that works for me, and I think enough people do. I kind of feel the same, although, strictly speaking, I wouldn't say I feel excited about getting up at four o'clock in the morning. It's more a case of... Tolerating everything, <laughs> yeah. you usually just go to bed. Normally, yeah, just I would, we wouldn't even consider it. Yes, I think if all the races were floodlit, it would stop being special. I think what yeah. you want to do is vary it up. Coming to, back to A1 Grand Prix again, one of the things I loved about A1 Grand Prix was the race that they had at Centul. And I'm wearing a Centul race circuit T-shirt at the moment for those listening in colour. And the Centul race, the Centul circuit, which is in a town called, uh, hang on, it's got a really rude name, Bogor. <laughs> <laughs> Great name. It's in the middle of the jungle. So you've got a circuit with great big green leafy things around the outside and uh, king cobras. Trees, yeah. That's it, yeah. And, and king cobras on turn six. And I kid you not. Really? Have I told you that story? I tell you. The one about the... Oh, you get it. I must... I, I haven't told I, it... Yeah. Go ahead. I've I told Zog, but maybe I've not told it on the show. I went around the circuit and... Uh, uh, Paul Kenny, a security guy, had just been around the circuit before the race, and he said, "You know, I was just over at turn six or whatever it was, and uh, I saw something standing up by the side of the circuit. I thought, what's that? A standing tap? That's a dangerous thing to have. I'm security. I'm going to go over and investigate." And he walked over to it. The tap turned around to look at him. No. It was a king cobra stood up, spitting. Oh, so the advice given to the drivers was, "Stay in your cars if you spin off." Really? But, yeah. But that's great. You know, you need a race that's you know at night in Formula One. You need a race that's in the middle of, let's say, Paris or London. I think mm. the High Park Imagine race would that. be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need a race where there's a danger of drivers getting bitten by cobras if they get out yes. of the car. Is that what you're saying? Or a race in Wales. We could have dragons breathing fire at them. That would do it, wouldn't it? Actually, now you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. was, the Snowden Grand Prix. I was kind of sort of mulling over my head maybe sort of what some of the other ways to deal with, uh, let's say, cutting chicane issues might be. Because obviously, you know, in the light of recent races, recent events, there's a bit of a... Yeah, the, well, there's kind of a question about how you might want to penalise a driver well, for, for cutting a chicane. How do you dissuade them from going across the chicane, basically, without... Strana. Exactly. Well, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, concrete wall. You know, ha- no, nice high curbs or actual mm. sort of concrete walls would do it. But then, you, but then you've got the problem of you know, obviously breaking the car. So we're mm. trying not to do that. You know, and you want to keep the cars going, which is why we went away from gravel traps and went mm. onto these con- mm. these mm. runoff areas. Okay, well, what we've got to do now? We just you want to get maybe some. Uh, you know, local youths, perhaps. <laughs> Stand them around the runoff area. Just have them, I don't know, you know, lobbing rocks. The Hackney and, Grand Prix. And, you know, eggs and paint. <laughs> Teenagers with knives. going off the runoff well, area. No, no. That's, like, that's, like that's going to put off. That's definitely going to... I do. It's an idea. <laughs> I, 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 I can develop this a little more. What if, in the more tropical countries where the race happens... We'll, we'll develop this uh, as Gareth said that sometimes you have by the track these big leafy things which we've established are called trees, trees apparently yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, trees, yeah. Um, I don't know it's like opal fruits and 
Starburst. They, they probably changed on. the name. I don't know. <laughs> and, um, and then you have immensely poisonous spiders in them. And oh. the vibrations of a car going across the chicane, under the trees, spiders fall out of the trees into the uh, no, 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 I really don't like spiders. I'm not having this. No, well, no, well no, yeah, could no, you no, be no, not an F1 no. driver? Right? Maybe the F1 drivers don't like yeah. spiders. That'll stop them cutting the chicane. Yeah, but I, oh, no, I'm going to... If we do that, I'm going to be watching the race. I'm going to be looking I've got it. No, I've got it, guys. The answer. The Iraq Grand Prix. If you go off at a chicane, you're held hostage for six months or something like that. That'd stop them. Yeah, a team has to pay a 100 million euro ransom to get you back. (laughs) Well, in the case of Sebastian Bourdais, they probably wouldn't bother. (laughs) (laughs) What's the matter, Peter? It's two days until the opening of our motorsport-themed angling shop and we still haven't got a relevant celebrity to cut the ribbon at the opening. Hmm, that is a problem. Yes, it is a really quite a big problem. What are we going to do? Don't worry. Looking for an F1-related celebrity but can't quite afford an actual driver? Then why not book Felipe Massa's dad? He looks quite like Felipe himself, but slightly fatter, slightly balder, and slightly not as good at driving. Felipe Massa's dad. Where's that voiceover coming from? I don't know. It's a bit weird. Shut up! You are actors and you chose to live in an advert. Yes, Felipe Massa's dad. All the cartoon-faced, wide-eyed fun of Felipe Massa at a fraction of the price. From the people who bought you Anthony Hamilton, the sinister version of Lewis. Richard, what have you been driving, Richard? <laughs> Anything. It's my, it's my favourite topic. What have you been driving? What have been driving? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Now, I know what I was going to tell you, because the, the, uh, the last time we met, I didn't mention this on the show, I did the Three Peaks Challenge with four mates. You know, there's this thing where you try and climb the three highest mountains in Britain, so Ben Nevis in Scotland, Scarfell Pike in the Lake District in England, and then Snowdon, Snowdon. In, in Snowdon in Wales. Urwithva. It does sound like a lot of climbing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of climbing. Now, of course... I am uh, quite lazy and I like driving. So what I did was I was the wheelman for it. See, this, uh, this, this is, is where the story like is going. This. See, because like so me and some mates we go away walking every year, just a bit of sort of yomping up and down hills in the Lake Districts, and then drinking a lot of scotch in the evenings, and it's all very nice. But this is a bit more serious. And and I said I'll do it with you, and they went, oh, well, actually, we need someone to do the driving, and we don't know anyone else who likes cars as much as you and likes driving. Also, the subtext being we don't know anyone else who can blag a nice big car for us to do it in. So I thought about this quite a lot. Because we went away walking a couple of years ago and I borrowed a Land Rover Discovery. Remember you talked about, about it on the show, show. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, one of the things about those big 4 befores is that, you know, they've got the split tailgate. Now, it's something you don't realise until you do, like, one of these things, and it's why people like Range Rovers and they go to, like, eventing and stuff like that. Fold down the bottom bit of the tailgate, you can sit on it, you can take muddy boots off, you can just sit there and watch things, you can eat food while you sit there. It's all very nice, like a little park bench on the back of your car. Brilliant. So I thought, well, this is what we need for the Three Peaks Challenge, because it's a serious sort of logistical operation. A lot of miles driving, aside from the metres of zig zig up and down the mountains for the poor saps who had to do that, whilst I sat in the Toyota Land Cruiser that I blagged. That new one, the big one, with the V8 diesel engine in it. You're doing a lot of driving. Well, here's If the it thing. was a V8 petrol, you couldn't afford to yes. do it. It's a what, charity gig, mate. What I thought was, we need big, spacious, 
big boot because we've got to get a load of kit in it and also I had to get all the camping stoves and the cook them food when they came off the mountain so space we need something that's reasonably brisk but also good range because you are doing big mileage between these mountains in 24 hours that's the bit I didn't mention before you've got to do all this in 24 hours you see I'd just be thinking old Mercedes estate but somehow I it's know good. I'm wrong it's you know, good but, uh... it's good but it's not right because this is the thing that the Land Cruiser I thought perfect it was either that or a Range Rover and I looked mm. and the Land Cruiser just seems to be more massive and also it was new so I thought well it's a good excuse to try a new car that I've not tried so I borrowed one of those uh, from Toyota for the, for the challenge and I picked it up the day before I sort of set off to get to Scotland and I was thinking Oh, God, I should have got a Range Rover. Because that Range Rover with the V8 diesel in they do now is superb. Hmm. It's, you know, there's always that cliche you read in car magazines. You, you know, you can barely tell it's a diesel. Just a faint tinkle of idle and smooth as you like on the go. And it's always oh, pretty much rubbish. You can still tell it's a diesel. That Range Rover genuinely is extraordinary. That Some of the BMW ones and that Jag V6, and that's it. No, no, Otherwise, no. anyone tells you you can't tell it's a diesel, they're lying. You can. And the Land Cruiser... You could really tell it was a diesel. Which land? It's not the Colorado, is it? No, they've stopped calling it that now. They just call it the Land Cruiser V8. And if it's not the Land Cruiser V8, then it means it's the smaller one that used to be the Colorado, but isn't anymore. And the big one used to be the Amazon, and now it's just uh, the V8. A a woman with one breast sawn off. The Amazons used to do that. Did you know that? Amazon no. women. Amazon women. It was something women. with archery, wasn't it? Yeah, that's well, right. In, oh the, my le- God, in, really? in the legend. Yeah, in the legend, in order that they could pull the drawstring back, they would sever their right breast no so it didn't get in the way. Yeah. So has this Land Cruiser got a bit missing on the right hand side, perhaps? No? No, I did have a close shave with a bus on the Malibone Road, but I think it was all right. <laughs> so, anyway, I'm going somewhere with this, I promise you. <laughs> so, quick bracy of it, got in the Land Cruiser, I thought, oh God, you can tell it's a diesel, and it can really because it's mightily talky but a bit, a bit noisy diesel, and yeah. just a bit oh god it was on the rides really thunky and mm. and the interior as well the problem with those big Land Cruisers even the biggest and the poshest ones is and this is where they differentiate for a Range Rover a Range Rover is designed at its core to be luxurious and superb yeah and a Land Cruiser unfortunately that same car is sold in the Australian outback and in parts of Africa that have barely been explored as a very basic utility vehicle. It's a basic truck. So So what it feels like is a basic truck that's had the appurtenances of luxury, like leather seats and reversing camera and nav and all this sort of stuff. bit like a Discovery, then. Slathered onto it. Well, I think the Discovery is still more convincing as a sort of luxurious car. You know, the Discovery... Land Rover, uh, it's not often reported that Land Rover's sort of range model was was based a few years ago. They made a decision to base it on BMWs. Mm. So Freelander is 3 Series... The Discovery is 5 Series and the Range Rover is 7 Series. And that was they absolutely copied it to the, to the letter. Right. And now they're going to do their Mini. So they're, they're quite shameless about this. They just don't talk about it a lot. And the Discovery is like a 5 Series. You know, you feel like it's a fundamentally sort of well-engineered, luxurious car. Is the Land Cruiser a Hilux? It's a posh Hilux. Is it really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And really? It feels, it feels a bit like that. And it feels very well made, but it just feels like it's not really as luxurious as it thinks it is. So I was hugely disappointed with it. But here's my point. I have discovered what I would call the car equivalent of Stockholm Syndrome. You know Stockholm Syndrome where where people get kidnapped, but then after a while the hostage starts to feel empathy and even love for the kidnapper. Because they're locked. Because they're locked in it and there's no escape. Now, I had no escape. I took that Land Cruiser out of London on the, the Wednesday night. I drove up to stay at my parents' house in Cheshire that night and then I had another schlep up to Scotland and then we went from Glasgow and went to Ben Nevis and then we started this 24-hour odyssey and then finished up in Wales and the next day we drove back to London. So sort of a whole hours and hours and hours in this car and thousands of miles. 
And I think this is the thing. It's the Stockholm Syndrome with cars. When a car serves you well under intense conditions and conditions of duress and, and you're up against it, you start to fall in love with it and bond with it. And by the end, I was absolutely smitten with this Land Cruiser because it hadn't let us down. And I, and I started looking at it instead of thinking, God, that's an ugly, stupid, massive thing. I was thinking, that is fantastic. And I wish I could drive across the outback now. or wish I could just completely carve across Africa or, or drive from Alaska down to Brazil or something stupid in it because I know it wouldn't let me down. It was sort of fundamentally right to its core, even though the luxurious stuff is actually irrelevant and just plastered on. I just bonded Actually, with it, no, yeah, even though I'm, technically it's not okay. very good. And if you have got that kind of money to spend on a big, big posh 4x4, then go and get a Range Rover, for goodness sake. They're incredibly cheap these days because no-one wants them. But, yeah, don't this get a Land Cruiser. This is a little bit kind of... I remember a few years ago, what was the little rear-engined Skoda? Uh, the Rapide? The- Rapid. Yeah, so, Rapid. Rapid was a coupe, yeah. yeah. All the, 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 the saloon the was 120. the Estelle. Estelle. Well done for remembering that. It could have been a Lotus. Um, so, so I had saying that the coupe was the Estelle. And no, no, the, the saloon no, was the Estelle. The saloon was the Estelle. And the okay, well, in that case, it was the... I, th- I think it must have been the... Rapid. I, th- I think it was the Rapid, yeah. Mm. And did quite a lengthy overnight drive from London with another couple of cars in convoy through the night, through snow and eventually blizzard ending up somewhere in Switzerland and having driven through about seven or eight hours of blizzard in the middle of the night in this little Skoda that just kept going on some pretty treacherous roads when other vehicles hadn't actually made it I absolutely fell in love with that mm. car I love those Skodas yeah. I really I, do I wanted a Rapid or Rapid rather I, I seem to remember wanting to buy one because they were about five grand you could get one at mm. one point and I was going to take the Skoda badges off because today Skoda's not that cool a badge but it's a million times better than it used to be mm. and I was going to try and stick Porsche badges on it because it's, <laughs> it's rear engine you know yeah, almost a 911 yeah, it? A, a budget 911 Quite the same engineering yeah. uh, standard, but but not bad, I have to say. Not so you, you didn't have Stockholm syndrome; you had Geneva syndrome with I, that car. Yeah, think, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there you go. Listen, I'll, I'll tell you what I've been driving after this. Coming soon on Quantex Records. Now this is what we call some songs Gareth made up for the purposes of this sketch, featuring from his signature album "Jesus Is Nice," Richard Cliffs. Wide, wide through the hairpin, high as the revs will go. Deep, deep, and then turning late, keep the throttle low. I'm quick and I'm gifted, as quick as my team can bear. I've got to warn you around fast in the corners I'm quick everywhere Hey everybody, let's get on a bus and go to Greece A band the enemy has never called Alright, punk legends Now It's the Love Rifles With safety in the UK I'm not a bit careful on the 
and the top 26 hit from Alan Cost. Changes of car. Everybody's changing pace now. Slowing down on speeding up. Selling cops to buy a Prius. Trading rabbits for a pie. This is what we call some songs Gareth made up for the purposes of this sketch. Because without it, we'd have to play you over a minute of Nick Heidfeld describing what he had for lunch. Gareth Jones on speed. <laughs> they say space is the ultimate luxury. They also say that space is the final frontier, but I think there's probably another one as well. I was well. wondering how long it was going to take. <laughs> it wasn't very long. If space is the ultimate luxury, then I've just spent a couple of weeks driving... The most luxurious car I've ever driven. But it wasn't really a car, I don't think. Peugeot call it a car. Uh, they call it the Peugeot Expert TP. Um, <laughs> I know, I know. Very, very few watch. vans named after tents. Uh, See, I drove the Peugeot Amateur TP and it kept <laughs> collapsing and leaking and things. It's rubbish. You just can't get the Native Americans to build them these days. Have you, have you driven a transit? Have you boys driven transits ever? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ever. Uh, have you driven the new one? Yeah, yeah. Not haven't driven the new one. No, new one's front wheel drive, isn't it? Uh, it's both. Yeah, more make up your mind. Yeah, some no, models are front wheel drive. Has, the engine compartment is a perfect uh, cube, so you can put the engine lengthways or uh, crossways uh, depending on whether it's front drive or rear wheel drive. And when they launched it, sorry, I'm going to be boring now. But Go when on. they launched it at the launch, apparently for all the all the van buyers from big companies and the press and stuff, they had a team of engineers who converted a whole actual transit from wheel wheel drive to front wheel drive in an hour or something like that wow. it's that much that sort of interchangeability cool. of components wow. and bits and pieces and that stuff so the clever. smaller shorter wheelbase ones are front wheel drive uh, because they don't you know they can be but mm. then if you need to have a chassis cab or a really big long van that needs to pull a lot of loads then, then you can have it really yeah, you've driven transit ingenious they're yeah, fun I mean, when they're empty yeah, they are. They're, they're surprisingly quick when they're empty. And the well, uh, although, what. of course, as I think most people who've driven a transit at any point have probably discovered, when you're turning corners tightly, mm. it's it's awfully easy to bump the middle of the truck on a post. Basically, cut the yeah. corner, dent oh, the side, dent, dent the side of the van. In the BBC it. Underground Car Park, where uh, uh, someone had hired a long wheelbase Renault Master, Gareth and I worked in telly for a long time you know they, they do terrible things in television where they'll get a researcher and they'll go go and hire a van we need to move some props somewhere yeah yeah and, and never driven some, before yeah, yeah. Some, some 23 year old girl will have to go and get a van and because yeah. that's her job to suddenly do this and has never driven a big vehicle before and and, and it is they are a nightmare when you first get to grips with one and, and in this case yeah. tight right angle bender gets the ramp out of the underground car park of the bbc and she just bananaed it against the, the wall where it's stuck out and uh, we were there two of my colleagues out, we wrote a whole song on the subsequent car journey as we left the car park called Researcher in a Van <laughs> <laughs> which was all about things going wrong when you well, at least she got away without anybody noticing <laughs> I used to Except be smart ass gits from yeah. Top Gear. as you know I used to be a roadie for five years before I got into telly and so I've spent 
many thousands, tens of thousands of miles, either being a passenger or driving a, a, a transit. We came back from Glasgow once in a transit Luton on three wheels. <laughs> Glasgow to North Wales, we loaded all the equipment onto one side so the weight was off the wheel, which had no bearings, and literally drove on three wheels. But the transit is great. Real drive, you can get it sideways. It was mm. great fun when they were empty. But this TP is... It's a van. They say it's a car, it's a van. But this was like, you know, they're selling it as an MPV. Front-wheel drive, it was such an alien experience for someone who's used to driving rear-wheel drive vans Mm. like me. It was like a giant Ford car or something, or a Peugeot 205 or something. But it did feel more like driving a car than than driving a van, yeah? Yeah. It it felt car-like. Yeah, didn't feel like an S-Max, because the S-Max doesn't feel like a van. The S-Max really feels like a car. It feels better than a lot of normal cars. Yeah, yeah. The expert teepee, it was so soft. It was so soft. Oh, it's a soft clutch. Oh, it's a soft gear stick. And the, the changes up here on the dashboard. Oh, the power steering. Do you think they, they toughen all these things up for the actual van version? I hope so. so here's a good fact for you, van-wise. Right, the, uh, the last Vauxhall Corsa... When they came to start selling it in the UK, they'd done a load of research. And they, you know, Vauxhall and Ford and the big companies, they researched things at the tiniest degree. One of the things they said to people, car buyers, do you still want an ashtray in your car? And almost universally came back with, no, 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 don't smoke, no, 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 okay. All right, well, we've already designed one in the dashboard, but it's fine, we'll just bin that, get rid of the lighter in it, and we'll make it a uh, storage compartment. But then they came to do the course of van, and they said to sort of a typical van buying focus group, yeah. do you still want an ashtray in your Corsa van? And they went, yeah, of course we bloody do. <laughs> in some kind of strange Dick Van Dyke voice that they have. And so, yeah, the last Corsa, you couldn't get a car one with an ashtray, couldn't get a van one without an ashtray. Wow. Right, so if you want the ashtray, you buy the van. If yeah. you don't want the ashtray, you buy the car. I'm sure you could just buy the ashtray fitment for the van and put it into your car. Yeah. I just, the, uh, top tip there. The expert TP had a lot of car-like features to it. A couple mm. of things I like. I like the windows. way... It had in windows back. in the back. And it, it, it also had this nice thing where you... I'm sure they've got it in a lot of cars these days, but you hit the remote locking. Mm. And the ears, as I call them, the wing mirrors, fold in. Yeah. to confirm but because he's got these two huge sliding doors and we had all kinds of stuff in the back like bikes and tents and children and more tents and sleeping bag and all that occasionally the doors wouldn't close properly you flip it they don't close properly the, the wing mirrors mm. because the door isn't closed properly so oh you can tell from a distance oh it's not mm. actually locked mm. so, and I thought that was quite neat it was vast Inside, There again, I did take out the rear row of three seats and one of the second row of seats, which allowed me to get the bikes down the side, as it were, and all the camping stuff in the back. And it's cheap. What is it, 24 grand or something? Uh, what do you pay for is a... Is that cheap these days? I don't know. For I something that big? Manu hasn't yeah. bought a car for a while. <laughs> yeah, but, true. Uh, we, we borrow our cars, don't we? But if, yeah, I mean, if you were going to buy a Chrysler Voyager or something, I would... Yeah, you'd think I'd be questioning yeah, yeah, yeah. my sanity oh, yeah, yeah. if I was thinking about cars avoiding. Exactly, but, but yeah. That's me, yeah. yeah. And I, I enjoy driving it. It makes you drive gently. I said it was all soft. It makes you sort of smooth it along in a kind of well, a Jackie Stewart way. Actually, uh, <laughs> your delightful partner, uh, TV's Violet Berlin, I've told me that, that it was the favourite of all the cars that you have blagged thus far yeah. because it was the first one <laughs> that had 
less power <laughs> than, than a milk would have liked. So you couldn't drive like a lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It had a top speed of 99 miles per hour. But, and it's not to 60 time is, what is it, about 12 seconds or something like that. I've got it yeah. written down somewhere. Where is it? 14 seconds, not to 62. Which is all right for a van, isn't it? It's not, it's not well, bad. I, it also I, depends. Think I think I probably had two cars at least that were slower than that in the past. So, uh, you know, but but it, it yeah, could the, be worse. the one thing I've got against it, because it was a very capable vehicle, the only thing I've got against it is it looks like it's got learning difficulties. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? It doesn't look very intelligent from the front. Well, it's it, it just got a little bit of that... Uh, I mean, the boxiness of it is, is fine. Yeah, like, absolutely, yeah. Like, it's just got a slight bit of sort of multipler-ness, if you like. Oh, you know? now, come it's on, just... the multipler's nice. No, the multipler looks like a the, mutant. No, it's... Thank you. It's got a ridiculous, <laughs> horrible, absurd, sort of cobbled together looking vehicles. I can remember. A... Hang on, no, just, just a it's, those, it's the yeah. lights. We've got a picture it's of it here. Print that you've got here. And yeah. It says uh, uh, Persia Expert TP. <laughs> <laughs> Do you spell TP like that? Not in this country. They spell it T E P. Tepe. Tepe. Oh, hang on. And there's a little box out here that says Model on Test. Leisure. It was the leisure. So what you had was the Peugeot Expert TP Leisure. Yes, Expert Leisure. That's and one of those like internet programs that just does random anagrams. That's not a set of words that go together. But it says here, uh, points of interest, modern and safe design. It okay, was, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, versatile people carrier, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Dependable HDI uh, diesel engines. Was, and then yeah. uh, the next point is uh, seats potentially up to nine people. Yeah, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, really, yeah. There were nine people. Yeah, we had two in the front because there were two like captain seats. We can right. get three in the front, the second row three, and the third row three as well. But I took the third row out and we only had two seats because we had these captain seats in the front. But they had the arms, you know, I think you which is very easy oh very soft but it had this <laughs> antique stereo thing it didn't have bluetooth it mm. did talk to my mobile phone but only if I took the sim card out of my mobile phone and plugged it into the dash now that's fine on a long journey and it worked a treat I could just talk to the van and the van would talk back like a telephone but if it's the van version that's the last thing you want because you're getting in and out yeah, of the van yeah, all yeah. the well, time well even often in a car you're often just hopping in and out yeah. but, but and the other thing is that, though, is, is that sim cards yeah. aren't always that easy to get at no they're not know? are they some they're phones Get out. Yeah. Well, I had a phone, on the iPhone, I, for example. Yeah, iPhone. You a little tool. Uh, the yeah. last Nokia phone I had, you just you literally couldn't get it out without a hammer or something. I'm driving around a little Toyota Igo this week, which has got Bluetooth. And Zog and I, being Mac fans, we've both got iPhones, so the iPhone's got Bluetooth. Oh, that's brilliant. I'll sync up the Bluetooth in the car. Superb. Mm-hmm. So I did, and it works very well. But what it does when you first set it up is it says it's all done on voice command. Like the the, the system talks back to you. So it says Bluetooth phone detected. And rather than enter a passkey, it just says, say a friendly phone name. No! So, and then it beeps. So I went, iPhone, in a sort of friendly way. Now, every time I start the car... You say iPhone? The, the car says back to me, I hear me going, iPhone! <laughs> and then the woman goes, connected. Oh, it's preposterous, really. My okay. girlfriend. I want to try driving this car now. We'll go outside afterwards. We'll yeah. go outside yeah, we'll and we'll do it because it's hysterical. And we'll hear the three cylinder engine as okay. well, which is the other great thing about that car. They can do Bluetooth in an IGO, which is what? How much? How much to pay for that? Eight grand? Uh, that one outside is, yeah, about uh, just under eight grand. Eight grand? Why haven't they got it in this 24 grand lovely luxury van? Someone asked <laughs> me. Yeah. Love it, though. Love it. I have to say, it was very good. Very good. Mm. But I'm not going to buy one because I like little fast cars. Mm. This isn't called Gareth Jones on Space, is it? No. (laughs) (laughs) That is our spin-off NASA-based podcast, though. That's just about it for Gareth Jones on Speed. 
before we go and play you out with some van-related music, um, we're going to say something sensible, which we don't normally say on this show, but we were genuinely sad to hear of the death of Paul Newman uh, this last week, who we liked for a great number of reasons, not least of all, Zog's a big movie fan, and he liked Cars, didn't he, Newman? Oh, yeah, he did. Screen legends just don't come much bigger or better than Paul Newman. Butch Cassidy and the Sunlots Kid. Mm, yeah. Films really don't come much better than that, you know. And he was beyond the Hollywood thing, you know. He had real, genuine enthusiasm and skill at racing cars. Yeah. Team owner, you know. Let's not forget he came second at Le Mans in 1979. Mm. Uh, He's a racing driver. Yeah, you and, forget that. He's total. And, but that's what, the thing. Pre- not... Previous year, didn't he beat Mario Andretti in uh, an endurance race? I believe driving a Porsche 908. Can't have been that good. Then. Oh, Mario, not not uh, not <laughs> Michael. Yes. <Yeah. laughs> the point being, you know, he loved his motorsport. He went out and did it. He was bloody good at it. Yeah. Uh, and he was a very successful team owner as well. And. Yeah, we. I think we we will. Legend. We, we will miss Proper him. legend. Yeah, we saw him once. I remember going to Rockingham for the first ever champ car race in this country, and I saw him walk, yeah, walk down the pit lane. And he walked like an old man. And this was what five or six years ago, I suppose. He walked with that kind of Western swagger that an older gentleman has, but he was still insanely cool. Mm. And that's the best thing. Anyway, so Paul Newman, we'll miss you, man. Thank you very much indeed. Say goodbye, fellas. Goodbye. Bye now. And we'll leave you with a song I've written about vans. Nothing to do with the Persia Expert TV whatsoever. Although the expert does get a mention, as does, I think, every other van on sale in Britain at the moment, with the exception of the Ford Transit and the Super Carry, which I don't think they make anymore. Here's White Van Man. Say goodbye, fellas, again. Goodbye again. Yeah.
Get more info on this show at garethjones.tv. Write to the show on speed at garethjones.tv or subscribe for free at the iTunes store. Gareth Jones on Speed is made by Whizbang. Connected. I've got to change that.